Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to First Presbyterian Church of San Antonio. We're really glad that you're here with us today because today is Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is the first day of Holy Week, that week that we set aside to celebrate the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It starts with Palm Sunday and ends on Easter Sunday, but in between we have some special days like Maundy Thursday and Good Friday, Holy Saturday. And these are days that all help us to remember everything that Jesus did for, for his glory and for our salvation. Well, this is also a special week for us here at First Presbyterian Church, too, because this is our fourth week of online church. As you can see, I'm back in the sanctuary today. We're here uh, because it just seemed like the place to be, a place, a focal point for all of us to gather. So I'm here, but I'm only here with my, my wonderful camera crew, my wife Morgan, who is just adding her expertise to this. And we thank, I thank her for being here and I thank you for joining us today. Even though we are scattered, we are still gathered by the Holy Spirit. So today we're going to continue our study of the book of Isaiah. We've been going through this series called From Ruin to Restoration. We've been studying the book of Isaiah as an account of God's promises to people in exile, to his people in crisis. This is a, this is a prophecy that God used to challenge and to encourage the people of Israel when their country was destroyed and they were deported to that strange and brutal kingdom of Babylon. They were in exile and they were in crisis, kind of like we are. Just like, just like us, they had to learn to sing the Lord's song in a strange land, although what we're going through is nothing like the calamity that they endured. But you know what's interesting about this is that when we began this series, your pastors, just like everybody else, had no idea of everything that would happen between January and Holy Week. We had no idea what would transpire just in this first quarter. And yet God knew exactly what we would need to hear. And that's become more and more clear to me as we've studied the prophet Isaiah together. Because the prophet Isaiah spoke these words to his people in crisis. And then nearly 700 years later, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, claimed these words. He claimed this mission. He claimed this authority and this, and this power and these prophecies for himself. And so today we're going to turn to the 53rd chapter of the book of Isaiah. And this morning we're gonna look at what happened on Palm Sunday and how God took the promises of Isaiah and the events of Palm Sunday and Holy Week and drew them together in the person and the passion of Jesus Christ. Nowhere in the Old Testament does the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ shine more clearly than in Isaiah 53. 700 years before Jesus came into the world, God opened the eyes of his prophet to see the very heart of Christ's saving work. That's what we're going to be reading today. So let's turn now to our scripture reading for the day from the prophet Isaiah from the 53rd chapter beginning in the third verse. He was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. 
And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed." All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. This morning, we're going to look at the promise God made in the prophecy of Isaiah and how Jesus claimed and fulfilled that prophecy and what that means for us. So what did Isaiah promise? Well, the Lord's promise through Isaiah was that he would not leave his people alone and without help in their time of crisis. In this chapter of Isaiah, as in others, he says that he is going to send them his anointed service, uh, servant, his Messiah. He's going to send them a savior. He said, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I've put my spirit upon him and he will bring forth justice to the nations. The Lord promised that he would send a savior, the Messiah, to restore his people in crisis. Now, as I've been preparing to teach you this week, as I've read over this passage again and again, there are two words that have just leapt off of the page. They've grabbed my attention and my heart right there in the middle of our passage for today. In the middle of this description of the suffering of God's servant are these two words, peace and healing. Isaiah writes, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. The Lord told Isaiah, that he was sending his anointed one, his Messiah, to give his life for our peace and our healing. I think that those words gripped me so much right now because of everything that's going on in our world. Watching the news, hearing the reports, looking at the numbers. Every day, as with you, I know these things are weighing on me. And I thought, these are two words that we need to hear from God right now. Peace and healing. The word peace here is the Hebrew word shalom. And the concept of shalom is deeper than we might first expect. Shalom is a deep, rich word. It means more than just that peaceful, easy feeling that the eagles sang about. It has more to do with relationships. Shalom is all about relationships, healthy relationships. It's about our relationship with other people, and it's about our relationship with God. 
In terms of our relationship with God, it's the comfort that comes from knowing that in life and in death, I belong to God. And the confidence that he knows what I need and that nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. It's the trust of knowing that our God is the God who keeps his promises and the solace that comes from knowing that not a hair can fall from my head without it fitting his purpose for my salvation. But we have to remember that shalom is not a selfish peace. I mean, yes, of course it is personal, but shalom is a peace that exists in relationships. It's a peace that comes from knowing that you and I are bound together. It comes from loving our neighbors as ourselves and knowing that you have what you need and that your joy is real and that your, uh, your wants and your needs are satisfied. It comes from knowing that I'm healthy when you're healthy. It comes from knowing that I'm free when you're free. It comes from knowing that I have dignity when you have dignity. And the whole idea of shalom is that I am most at peace when I am right with others and when I am right with God. So the mission of the Messiah is to restore our relationships, our relationships with other people and our relationship with with God. Why? Because God cares about our relationships. And that means that God cares about the people that we care about. And then Isaiah mentions healing. In Hebrew, the word is rapah. And I love this word too, because in a time of global pandemic, it reminds us that our God is a God of healing. You know, one of the many names of God given to him in the book of Exodus is the name Jehovah Rapha, which means I am the Lord, your healer. Psalm 103 says that he is the God who heals all of your diseases. The gospel of Matthew tells us that Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. God takes our broken bones and mends them. He takes dead cells and energizes them. He takes dull eyes and brightens them. He takes rotting skin and invigorates it. He takes atrophied limbs and awakens them. He takes severed nerves and reconnects them. God cares about our health because God cares about us. And our health matters to him because it's of great concern to us. Think about this. We are made in the image of God to reflect his truth and to show forth his love. And our bodies are part of that identity. He created us body and soul and cares about us body and soul. He cares about our physical health, our spiritual health, our emotional health. He cares about our personal health and he also cares about the health of our families and the people we love. He cares about the health of our neighbors. You know, it's a matter of great concern. Our health is a matter of great concern for us. And therefore, it is a matter of great concern for him. I mean, like any father, God cares about the health of his children. He cares about our pain because we care about our pain. He cares about our sickness because we care about our sickness. He cares about our physical condition because our physical condition matters to us. And he cares about healing because we care about healing. Because we are his children and he loves us, he cares 
about our health, not just right now, but for eternity. So if God cares about our peace because he cares about the people we love, we remember that God cares about our healing because God cares about us. Isaiah promised that the Messiah would restore our peace and our health by removing the foremost obstacle to our peace and to our health. What is that obstacle? That obstacle is the condition of sin. You know, unfortunately, right now, the pandemic that we are suffering seems to haunt our every moment. But COVID-19 is not the only disease that is breaking us right now. Long before there was a health crisis in this world, there was a spiritual crisis. And the prophet reminds us that we live in a world that is broken and compromised by a disease that is much older, much more pervasive, and much deadlier than the coronavirus. And that condition is sin. It undermines our relationships and it compromises our health. And here's what Isaiah tells us about sin. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned and gone our own way, everyone to his own way. First, Isaiah says that sin is a disease of selfishness. He says, we have each turned to our own way. You see, sin is a mutation in which the soul is deformed by turning away from God and away from other people and turning in on itself. And like the coronavirus, this disease itself is invisible. It's unnoticeable except for the presenting symptoms. And what are those? Sin is the rejection of God, the rejection of others, and the rejection of our true identity as children of God. It looks like this. We say to God, you're not the boss of me. I'm my own boss. I'm my own person. I'm made myself. I'm a self-made man. I don't owe you anything. I don't have to take you seriously. And it also manifests itself in this way. We say to other people, you don't matter. I've got to look out for number one. You have to take care of yourself. I'll take care of me and my tribe, but you are on your own. It manifests itself in the way we take advantage of other people or in the way that we manipulate each other or neglect one another. That's the essence of rebellion and unbelief a people who insist on going their own way. So sin is, first of all, a sin of selfishness. Second, Isaiah says that it is everywhere and it affects everyone. Listen again. We all like sheep have gone astray, each one to his own way. Sin is the original pandemic. All of us have got it. It began in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, who were patients zero and one. And then it just spread. It spread out everywhere across the world, across history, and has infected everybody. As Paul says, there is no one who is righteous. No, not one. Because we're all guilty of rejecting God. We're all guilty of rejecting others. And we're all guilty of rejecting our true identity. We're all sinners. And we are all lawbreakers. You know, the law of God is not just about our personal sins. The law of God also points us to 
the law of complicity as well. You see, you and I are lawbreakers, not just in the sense that we do things on our own, but we are also responsible for our common sin, not just as individuals, but for all of those things that we do as a society. You know, our failure to love our neighbors as ourselves, our willingness to walk past the poor and those who are most vulnerable, our neglect for those who live on the edge of disaster, not just during a pandemic or a health crisis, but who live on the edge of poverty and disaster every day. It comes from our tendency to accept poverty and disease around the world as a matter of course, or our failure to speak up in defense of the unborn. It comes from our complicity, even our participation in a culture that undermines marriage and family and nods and winks at greed and pornography and corruption and makes idols of money and celebrities all while mocking the worship of the living God. And sadly, you and I, we all have a part in that because of our complicity. When we go along with it, we allow it to breathe. We give it air. And that sin just germinates in that environment. Sin wrecks our relationships. And it wrecks our health. Sin undermines our peace by turning us against ourselves. Think about this. How many of the sins we commit are sins that we commit against our own bodies, against our own souls, against our own hearts, against our own minds? It's like we betray ourselves. And it all happens because we've forgotten that this body is a gift of God, that my life is a gift of God. We want to, we want to be autonomous and sin destroys our health and peace because it makes us careless about our limits and God's law. It undermines our identity as God's children created in his image because it makes us think that we are independent, that we're autonomous, that I am sovereign over my own body, that I can do as I please, that I can abuse or indulge my own body with impunity, that I don't have to take care of myself, all because it belongs to me. Whether we're talking about with our neighbors or whether we're talking with ourselves, sin makes us selfish and afraid. You know, so much of our brokenness is caused by fear. Fear of losing a job, fear of getting sick or getting someone else sick, fear of dying. I think sin is the mother of all fear. And fear undermines our relationships and undermines our health like nothing else. Sin is the disease that doesn't stand on its own. It also makes all other diseases worse. You know, there's, there's nothing about the COVID-19 virus cell that makes people hoard toilet paper. There's nothing about this disease that made someone steal the bicycle of our 11-year-old next-door neighbor. There's nothing inherent in the virus that makes politicians sling mud and blame one another for the things that are happening in our world right now, or that makes people selfish or paranoid or aggressive or abusive. Those aren't symptoms of COVID-19. Those are symptoms of sin and they fall on top of the disease and they just make everything worse. And for that matter, sin is also contagious. All of us are, carrier, are carriers because when our selfishness grows and we get disconnected from other people and we get disconnected from God and when we get disconnected from ourselves and our own identity in God, 
then our selfishness grows and everyone starts living for themselves and the idols of our culture. And our fear spreads, our greed spreads, our immorality spreads. And so Isaiah says that the Messiah will do something that no one else is able to do. The Messiah is going to restore our peace and he's going to restore our health by taking all of our sin upon himself. Isaiah said, he will be pierced for our transgressions and he will be crushed for our iniquities. The prophet is not talking only about the destructive things we do. He's talking also about those toxic attitudes with which so we so easily live that we take for granted. You know, what if you could go to someone you love and say to them, instead of you being sick, I will take your sickness. Instead of you being punished for your crimes, I will take the beating. I'll trade my life for yours. You know, can you imagine if you could go to a loved one who has cancer or heart disease or COVID-19 and you could say to that person, even to just a sick child with a cold, I will take your place. That's what Jesus did. And that's what the Messiah will do. The fulcrum of the Messiah's restoration is substitution. Instead of giving us what we deserve for our selfishness and rebellion, for our rejection and denial of others and the rejection and denial of God, God transferred it all to him. Instead of increasing our sorrows, he carries our sorrows. Instead of avenging our transgressions, he is pierced for them in our place. Instead of crushing us for our iniquities, the Messiah is crushed for them as our substitute. He will take our brokenness. He'll take our broken relationship with God, our broken relationship with other people, and even our self-inflicted brokenness, and he will put it on himself. That is what the Messiah will do. On Palm Sunday, Jesus rode into Jerusalem to fulfill that promise of the Messiah. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem in 33 AD, during the week of Passover, he was focused on God's mission. The crowds that met him on the road, they didn't know what he was up to. They didn't know what was supposed to happen. But Jesus told his friends, he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed. But on the third day, he will be raised. And just as Jesus said, everything came to pass. It all happened just like he said it would. He was betrayed. He was arrested. He was abandoned. He was falsely accused. He did suffer. He was killed. But nevertheless, he still went to Jerusalem because he had to do what he alone could do. Jesus was the only possible substitute. He was the only person able to pay the debt that we could not pay because he was the only person who ever lived who had not violated the law of God. He is not in a broken relationship of rebellion with God. He lived in perfect submission to God. He never sinned another person. He never manipulated or hurt anyone. 
He has fulfilled all righteousness. That is, he has no outstanding debt with God. So rare, so unique was the value of that one sinless life that his life was worth more than all of the souls of all of the damnable sinners that have lived before or since. Jesus died on the cross for all of the lousy stuff that we do, not only as individuals, but for our complicity as members of groups or nations or races or classes or tribes. And Jesus died on the cross for all the lousy stuff that we've left undone as well. All those times when we passed by people in need, all those times when we neglected our neighbors, all those times when we could have made a difference, but we decided just to mind our own business. So Jesus rode into town saying, I'll take their place. Mark 10, 45 says that the son of man came to give his life as a ransom for many. And because he has taken our sin upon himself, God has forgiven us. By taking our sins on himself, he paid for every cruel or selfish thing that we have ever done to one another. Every sin, not only that we have ever committed, but every sin that we have ever endured he lived the life that we could never live and he died the death that we could never endure so that we could have the relationship with God that we're supposed to have. And by his death, he opened the way to forgiveness and compassion so that the relationships we have with one another can be restored. Listen, God looked at us and punished him so that he could look on him and pardon us. He looked on me and punished him so that he could look on him and pardon me. So what does that mean for us? It means that we know that God cares about our peace and our healing, even now in this time of crisis. Peace and healing. Shalom and Rafa. Those are just such alien concepts right now. Because we live in a world that is stressed out and poisoned by disease. People are terrified that they're going to get the virus and we're terrified that we might give it to somebody else. And we're scared that the economy will collapse. And we're scared that people will lose their jobs. And we're scared to do business and we're scared to go to work. We're scared to get together with our neighbors and our families. But even though those seem like alien words, God knows that we need them in our lives right now. And that is why Jesus rode into the city on that Palm Sunday, knowing that he would be humiliated, knowing that he'd be tortured, knowing that he'd be killed, knowing that he would be pierced and crushed. He did it because he knows how badly people in a crisis need peace and healing. Whether it's a health crisis or an emotional crisis or an economic crisis or a relational crisis or an emotional crisis or a spiritual crisis. He knows how badly we need peace and healing. Jesus rode into Jerusalem to prove that we have a God who cares about our peace and about our health. He cares about our relationships and about our condition. He rode into Jerusalem to prove that God cares about our relationships 
and that God cares about the people that matter to us. He wrote into Jerusalem to prove that we have a God who understands not only our spiritual pain, but also our physical and emotional pain as well. You know, he was pierced and crushed, but he's also borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He understands what happens to us on the inside as well as what happens to us on the outside. And Jesus rode into Jerusalem that day to prove that God is not going to abandon us in this crisis. God cares about our peace because he loves the people that we love. And he cares about our health because he loves us. And Jesus paid for our restoration with his own life to prove that we have a God who is willing to ride into danger to prove his love and to keep his promises to us. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, right now we need peace. Right now we desperately need healing. And right now we need you. We thank you, O Lord, that at that moment in time, on that Palm Sunday, Jesus set his face to Jerusalem to ride into the city to prove that you care about us and those we love, that you care about our peace and our healing, so much so that you were willing to give your life to take all of that upon yourself. We love you, O Lord. We praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being with us today here at First Presbyterian Church. We're so glad that you joined us, especially if you are somebody who's looking for peace and healing in your life. We hope that you will join us in our mission to love Jesus Christ, to love one another, and to love the city. And we pray that you would check out our website at fpcsanantonio.org, as well as download our First Presbyterian Church app. If you have a need, Please look on the website so that we can help to fill that need. And if you would like to help fill some needs, we would love to hear from you as well. But please remember to love one another through this time of this crisis. Love Jesus Christ and, of course, love our city. And now go forth into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Return to no person evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the road rise to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine full upon your face and the rains fall soft upon your fields. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.